Hi, I'm Colette Hemmings and I'm really excited to invite you to another episode of Chill with Chemmings. This podcast is about you, your story, our story and the ways that we can use stories to inspire and guide each other to a more connected, vibrant society. My story started in Scotland where a strong sense of social justice, dignity and responsibility were instilled at a young age. This has only become stronger over time. Over 20 years ago, our young family set off on an adventure that we thought was only for a few years. My husband left his job, we packed our bags, paid off our debts and set off to Belgium. Some years later, we found ourselves in Amsterdam, Shanghai, Oregon and Jakarta. It has been and continues to be an enlightening journey that has shaped who we are today. An adventure that I thought was to discover the world out there turned out to be an adventure to find out who I am and why I'm here. Ten years ago, I became a Tai Chi master, realising the healing benefits of ancient wisdoms that I believe are even more important today. This wakened up my imagination and passion for life again, and I've never looked back. I love the human story, and I want to hear yours. It matters. If you have a story or you know someone that you feel will inspire others, send an email to colette at chillwithchemmings.com. And without further ado, I want to welcome Kevin Bethune. Kevin is the founder and chief creative officer of Dreams Design and Life, a think tank delivering design and innovation with a human-centered approach. The mission being to unlock human potential through the creation of empathic and holistic experiences. Kevin's first song choice wasn't available at the end, so we've got another great song uh, for you instead. What I have seen of Kevin and why I've invited him as a guest is that as well as being a highly curious human being, a craftsman, design thinker, he's also an advocate for a better world. And I'm really excited to welcome him today. Welcome to Chill with Chemmings. Hi, Kevin. Welcome to Uh, Chill with Chemmings. Thank you, Colette. How are you? I'm very well. Really nice to have you here. So happy to finally have you as a guest here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I mentioned in the... the intro which I did earlier that I was really inspired by like your creativity and imagination and just what you've kind of shaped in your life and if you'd be willing to do that I'd just love to hear first of all how are you and a bit about who's Kevin <laughs> yeah no, th- thank you again and um, I, I just applaud the positivity that you're putting out uh, with your platform so Kudos to you. you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, much needed, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Especially during these times, yes. So, yes, um, I I presently reside in Redondo Beach, California. Um, I live and work here. I I manage a business called Dreams Design and Life, uh, which very much delivers design and innovation services using a human-centered approach for companies big and small. And... I am grateful and, and thankful to, to walk this journey, um, to, to walk a creative path, uh, because I think creativity um, was sort of an early curiosity in my youth, but I didn't necessarily know how, how I would find it as mm-hmm. I <laughs> navigated through life. Um, 
I, growing up, uh, it's funny, I, I was born uh, just, just outside of uh, New York City, a town called Newburgh, and spent most of my childhood in the downriver Detroit area in the heart of big auto country. Uh-huh. And, and, and I would say design very much was a, a very distant notion. It felt like a thousand miles away. It wasn't something that was necessarily celebrated around me. Mm. Uh, but I was always creatively curious. I always drew for hobby, but it always felt like uh, felt like art. And as much as my my parents were sacrificing so much for us as kids, um, and with the outlook of of college being a tremendous sacrifice, I think at the time uh, notions of like what what would breed a, a, a pragmatic job on the other side of college was more the imperative. Mm-hmm. And design didn't necessarily fit that picture. <laughs> yes, I think I know what you're saying. <laughs> so, so essentially, um, I think my intersect my, I think essentially my interests also intersected with uh, math and science, and so engineering made more pragmatic sense, I would say, at the time. And uh, that's what I chose to study when it came time for school. Um, and as I was navigating college, um, many industries visited campus just to you know, entice us with the idea of working for them. And there was one industry in particular that um, hadn't necessarily hired young people in the 10 to 15 years prior to me coming out of college. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the nuclear industry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> one of the more extreme places you can imagine <laughs> ever working. Um, but, but their pitch was basically, you know, we have a knowledge management problem. Uh, a lot of the folks that designed the world's first nuclear plants are on the verge of retirement. And if we don't bring young people in, we're going to lose all this knowledge. Um, and compared to other industries where their, their pitch was very much, you know, you could spend 10 years on a plant floor understanding our business until we let you really do any solid engineering work. So the choice was rather easy and it was about walking through that wide open door to get really uh, rich experiences uh, fast. And the, the nuclear um, chapter of my career definitely gave me a lot of, of just wonderful experiences, learning how to work with high performing teams on mission critical objectives, uh, helping nuclear utilities all around the world. And, and it gave me a chance to really cut my teeth on product and understand what it meant to deliver something. Yeah, you get um, high kind of confidence levels and safety factors <laughs> and things. I remember those days <laughs> Indeed, indeed. And, but I, I think that the engineering experience, a natural curiosity for business sort of arose and, and not having a lick of business study in, in college, it was all technical. Um, I think the curiosity was, uh, was, was drawing me to really understand that language, just to have a little bit more license for my career and I just understand holistically what the company was was really doing with its uh, customer relationships, and that led to business school. And uh, the business school environment was was a great moment to kind of take a step back and just evaluate where things are going in your career. And um, I would I would say that the the voices in the business school environment were quite loud <laughs> and I found <laughs> I found I found my inner voice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt my own inner voice sort of quieting in the midst of that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like for, for money and influence, go here. For, for, for power and prestige, go here. And, uh-huh. you know, it was like, what, what does Kevin want to do? And, 
but but I think that early creative itch from my youth, I at least at least allowed that to inform the type of company I sought uh, post graduation, and and I wanted to be around technology and strategy, of course, but but also the creative faculties as well, and, and not knowing what I would even do with that, that that was at least where the heartstrings were drawing me toward, and companies like Nike were at the top of the list, and thankfully. Uh, upon meeting the right people, um, I was afforded an opportunity to come into the planning organization at Nike World Headquarters. And um, it was a wonderful entry point in, into the brand and, and just understanding the nature of how, how Nike ran its businesses. But I was really a product person at heart. Mm. Business planning wasn't necessarily the permanent home and 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 that's um, you could watch from afar. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> but the cool thing about the Nike experience was uh, the networking culture sort of welcomed you, reaching out and meeting new people. And upon those conversations, they, they folks would introduce you to two more people, and the chain would continue. <laughs> and I eventually met a lot of product folks um, and found opportunities to stretch myself. Uh, to really show them that I could maybe help their teams through stretch assignments and side hustles. Uh, and then eventually over time, they, um, um, the, the Global Forward Product Organization invited me to come into the, to the, to the product engine to just be helpful in, in more of an operational capacity. So now I was able to balance my product inclinations with the, the business acumen as well. And, and that brought me right in front of like real professional designers for the first time in my mm -hmm. career. And I, I was just fascinated by their process and what how they went about their work. And mind you, I, I still kept nursing my raw creative skill outside of uh, work. And I dared to show <laughs> some of my newfound creative friends some of the raw explorations I would make outside of work. And uh, thankfully, um, after a while, a few creative friends invited me to try my hand at footwear design and was able to eventually execute some shoes for categories like the Jordan brand and and, and other places. That's right. I think that's where I remember you from, Kevin, is, <laughs> is back then. We didn't really know each other that well, but I just remember certainly your creativity and design work. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I always remember seeing your messages. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that was, uh -huh. <laughs> that was a, yeah, that was a fun experience. The chairman's indeed, indeed. Um, did you see when you went into design? Though, was it, did you have a different feeling when you went into an environment where you really felt like, oh, this is definitely what I want to do? Because that—that's one of the things I'm really interested in. Is it's kind of a feeling of home, and we get that, I believe, anyway, when we're kind of following our passion. It's just like it just feels good. Did you get get that feeling in the design community? Um, that's a good question. I, I, I would say the, those few people that took me under their wing and, and allowed me some runway to try some things, um, that just felt really cathartic. It, it was really hard because and on one hand, I, I, was, I was feeling like I was getting a chance to cultivate and experiment against that curiosity that had been brewing for so long. So it felt wonderful. But the other side of that is just the challenge of learning new skills, yeah. feeling intimidated, trying to, you know, yeah. make it to the next uh, design review with substantial content that people could buy into and, and, uh -huh. and also take some of the constructive critique that comes with it and growing in the process. So that, that growth 
uh, endeavor was quite challenging, quite daunting, quite intimidating. But um, I think I first felt at home when I saw those first pairs of shoes launch in the marketplace. And I, I just couldn't believe, you know, I couldn't believe the opportunity that I was afforded. And I couldn't believe that I made it through that gauntlet of, of growth. And uh, also it was humbling in that it was just a couple pairs of shoes that had my design credits to them, but still my creative foundation, I think was very infantile, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. And totally. uh, very much, uh, I think through the, the process, I was really staring at a bigger fork in the road more than I felt like I was immediately fitting in. Hmm. And, for and, and I would say it was a fork in the road to really, you know, commit to, to decide to commit to flushing out my creative foundation fully or continuing to claw and scratch within the Nike environment to, to pick up more shoe projects. Um, so it was a choice mm -hmm. whether to stay or whether to go really invest in my creative foundation. And I chose to, to, to leave and, and invest uh, by getting more education in design. So tell me a bit about when that kind of, as you described, like the fork in the road ended or a new one opened up so you moved from your kind of corporate career on to creating your own business what what, what happened there what what was what was the kind of trigger for that you know um I, I guess in my final in my final years and months at nike um while while you know few creative mentors would give me runways to try some things I, I also encountered an enormous amount of resistance of, of um, you know, I think some constructive and healthy and some maybe um, playing into some, some more of the, the, the subjective nature of, you know, not being seen in that type of creative role that was cultivating, mm -hmm. right? And, and I basically had to make a personal choice to say, this is my career. I'm going to go back to school to really solidify this creative foundation. And my, mind you, the world was also shifting um, to, to appreciate the convergence of disciplines. And we, we saw that through the likes of the emergence of the Apple ecosystem with iTunes, mm. iPhone, these kind of things were coming into the scene at the time. And the, the nature of design education was changing to really appreciate cross-disciplinary uh, engagement and as I was leaving the, the, the school um, endeavor, it was tough talking to companies and that many of them wanted one singular success profile. Yeah. And I was not that, I was a hybrid, right? But when I looked at the needs of what was brewing in the world, the world was, the future was asking for uh, folks that could creatively navigate across business design and technological dimensions to solve problems. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, for, for every nine out of 10 company conversations I was having as I was looking to reinsert myself back into the, the, into the uh, corporate arena, um, one out of 10 players in those conversations actually did get it and did want um, to want to see a collaboration happen. And I, so I, I just started teaming with some individuals that were big believers in multidisciplinary collaboration. We, we created a, a, a boutique of sorts as a founding team and some very big platforms started leaning in to want to be a part of that special recipe that we were concocting. And we, we ended up der deriving a lot of value for some of their you know, big enterprise clients. And that just snowballed to the point where 
the Boston Consulting Group became sort of the, 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 the final parent in that trajectory, the company that was going to really invest in us. And it was just a handful of us that continued to walk into BCG. Um, and, and BCG was very supportive. They, they just basically said, tell us what you need because we believe in this model. We, we, we believe this could potentially change, change us even, be, be, you know, the large mm -hmm. BCG, mm -hmm. it could potentially change us from the inside out, wow. understanding how to be a more integrated partner to answer the demands and needs of our clients. Mm -hmm. And, and so we did, um, you know, BCG invested in innovation studios that we were asking for. Uh, we situated those globally. We scaled like really fast to roughly a, um, just under a thousand people by the time I, I left that chapter. Wow. Uh, but but it was an amazing runway where we got to showcase the power of multidisciplinary convergence. We we got to come up with compelling visions for future potential for those clients. And we actually got to build the businesses. So that same integrated team got to prototype the, the business offerings. And we designed the solutions and, and uh, implemented the technologies within it. And I, I was basically asked to serve as um, the, the servant leader for um, our strategic design team. And these designers were embedded in every single venture that we created for these large companies. Um, so, but after a while, uh, to, to eventually answer your question, um, it, while an amazing runway and being all things to all industries, thanks to the horsepower of BCG, some of the topics that perhaps I was more passionate about uh, especially coming from very much, very much a mix of physical and digital creative experiences, product experiences. Um, I, I became just very passionate about how, how you can help real human beings out there, whether it's in a consumer context or a business context, really unlock their potential and not just mm. necessarily um, upgrade a company just for digital sake, just for the sake of a digital transformation, but really unlock someone's potential in their own user experience. And so I started fixating more on uh, clients and problems that broached human potential, as well as the intersection of physical, digital, and services. And okay, so I decided that? roughly two years ago to basically hang my own shingle and go out on my own and create the Dreams Design and Life platform. Yeah, just even the name sort of epitomizes everything that you described there very simply. So what, what's, what's that been like the last couple of years then? Oh, it's because um, that's not easy starting your own, your own uh, <laughs> company. Or... Uh, absolutely not. Um, I think I think the that was the first time in my career where it was completely up to me. Um, stepping away from such a noisy giant platform, a global platform, to just being in your own home office uh, with a new email address. And a new phone number. No one's calling. No one's <laughs> First emailing. First school kind of feeling, isn't it? Feels <laughs> the yeah, it was, I, I I think the the quietness of that was jarring, if I'm honest. Uh huh. And, but I think the 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 big benefit of the creative approach, what it taught me, was the the actual act of making and iterating. Um, the answers eventually come from that sort of uh, journey and you sort of have to trust the process and just begin to make and whether I was making things for startup friends that might have needed my help and maybe I was doing it for free or or making content uh, for social media just to put seeds of conviction out there that would 
you know, attract like-minded people with shared values. Like that, that sort of helped me through the quiet period. And then all of a sudden, you know, people lean into that and yeah. people um, eventually surface needs that they have. And, and now we sort of get the flywheel turning. And so, you know, the two years have been, um, which, while still a young trajectory and full of ups and downs of the volatility of running a small business. Um, but I, I feel two years later that I'm, I'm, I'm now in this. Um, I feel like, you know, Dreams Design and Life is a, is a viable brand, uh, a platform that can provide a tremendous amount of value. And when I look at the roster of clients over the first two years, what I'm most proud of is that we at least share the same value set and we enjoy collaborating with each other. And we don't do it in a very formulaic client consultant yeah, type of way. Organic. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very organic. I think that's how human beings are. <laughs> and just <laughs> Absolutely. Gonna... So Kevin, I'd love to talk a bit about um, just along that journey, and I know you've just touched on some of the highlights, but are there people or moments that you recall on that journey, you know, from Detroit and right through to where you are today that really changed? You talked about a fork in the in the road, so that affected your path or really influenced you or inspired you? Uh, yes. I mean, there's, there's two individuals that um, were, were, were very pivotal. Um, the first was uh, Dwayne Edwards, who you may know. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so when, when, when most people saw where I was coming from in the Nike environment, uh, when they saw the title, they, they just immediately thought numbers guy. Mm-hmm. But, but Dwayne, uh, you know, gave me a little bit more time of day to just understand me as a whole person and the creative explorations I was making outside of work. And for him to say, you know what, you're not there. <laughs> you, <have> some, <laughs> you mean he was honest? You have some raw skills <laughs> that I can work with. You know, you, if, you, if you join me in the mornings, um, I, I'll, I'll like kind of mentor you and, and tutor you through these uh, exercises that I need we'll both go do our day jobs and then you go do my assignment at night and come back wow. the next morning. So we did that for the better part of a year to get two shoes out. So if he hadn't given me that runway, I mean, my, my life wouldn't have unfolded the way it did. Mm. So, you it's know, it took him yeah. affording me an opportunity, I think. And then the, the second person was Kevin Carroll, who you may know. Yeah. I not, not quite as well, but I do know who you mean. So, Ke so Kevin, I met uh, through the Nike network. Kevin had since left Nike before, um, before I met him. So he was a few years away from the brand. And you know, he had tremendous success with his books that centered around rules of the red rubber ball. Yeah. That first book among many books that he's written. And he's just a prolific social change agent, uh, gifted speaker, gifted uh, motivator for many organizations. Uh, so Kevin very much, um, I believe it was Gina Warren introduced me to Kevin and um, upon having coffee with Kevin and him, him seeing the trail of early evidence from these creative experiments and the things that I did with Dwayne and, and others, uh, he, he basically helped me distill like, you know, you're actually, sit, you're actually sitting at a precipice of, of, of the decision to commit or to continue this other path of clawing and scratching. So 
do you want to commit and like do the deep work to transform yourself? And maybe that requires going back to school or doing, doing something else, or do you want to continue to, you know, claw and scratch against these experiments within the Nike environment? And I think just having a, a mentor like that give you objective counsel based mm -hmm. on the evidence uh, was, was sort of a life-changing moment for me. Wow. So that really shaped, I mean, it's, it's so fascinating when you sort of reflect back and, you know, that reflection process is actually helping you clarify your next steps, you know, but if you don't reflect, of course, you can just kind of, at least in my experience, just run through life without really thinking too much. Very I, I absolutely agree. And <laughs> I, I think what you're describing and, and also what Kevin was coaching me to do was to, was to sort of map out like who who is that future you know person if 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 it's in the form of a north star that might be fuzzy but at least like where where have you gone what skills have you picked up where are you now and then between now and your future self like what type of experience will help round out the picture that you have that's you know in the the that's next you know five to ten year time horizon yeah and and you start to see your choices a little bit more clearly and and the ability to take ownership of your career and to check in to check back into like those things that you've written down to articulate your career vision i think are were were, were super helpful exercises and, and not only uh kevin but also um, past managers that i had uh like like folks like patty ross and uh, ron lish who you may know i the know Nike them both very days. well also mentors of mine <laughs> <laughs> they, they were big encouragers as well yeah. just to sort of check in quarterly with like your career vision your career arc and make sure you're putting in the, the right work against it that's amazing i i usually um i love to get to the lowest common denominator and the two questions for me that are always guiding principles is like who am i like and what do i want like at the lowest common denominator and that's come from one of my teachers and that really you know, that's my check-in with myself. And it sounds very similar to what you were describing. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell me what you learned about yourself in all of this. If there was one or two things that you were to say, well, Kevin, you're pretty awesome at X. What What's that in all of these lessons that you've had? Um, you know, hindsight, hindsight is always twenty twenty. But when I reflect back, I can say that curiosity was the, the defining thread and that learning how to, and I think it took mentors. And so when I say this, it's not just you know my perspective. I think it's the accumulated perspective of my experiences and those that have helped shape my path, those mentors, those encouragers, those advocates. To, to help me understand how to experiment against that creativity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the experiments sort of accumulate evidence that you can actually hold up, not only for uh, others to see, but for your, for your own person to sort of understand and digest. And that for any, for any future um, you know, vision that you have of yourself, of the type of person that you wanna be or potentially transformed to be, uh, you, gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have a, you got to have an understanding of how that evidence is going to help fill that picture out. Mm. And, you know, those experiments are not about shooting in the dark. I would say um, there was something running behind the scenes that 
connected my curiosities and experiments to actually providing value to the teams that need it. So, hmm. you know, whether it was as early as a, a product or an innovation team, just needing someone with the ability to, to connect the dots between the technology they were working on and the business case or the strategic imperative or the, the human centered need that the market's reflecting to be able yeah, to it's kind of like what problem together. is it solving? What problem is say, it say that again? It sounds as if you were always asking like what what human problem is this solving? Exactly. What, you know, what is the human centered imperative here? And and also this appreciating and respecting the system that's at play because we're dealing with companies, we're dealing with markets and, and people. Mm-hmm. So what would you say if you were if you were talking to like a young Kevin, what are the lessons that young Kevin or someone like young Kevin could learn from your experiences? You know, I I would definitely just encourage them to listen to their 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 heart, their mind, their spirit in terms of where their curiosity is pulling them. And, and to really go investigate against those heartstrings. Hmm. Um, and they, they don't necessarily have to have life figured out. I mean, you know, I remember those conversations when I was young of like, what, what are you going to do in 10 years? You know, <laughs> and whatever answers I gave at the, at the moment were wrong, you know, but not, not really, because as, as we sort of navigate forward, life gives us so much more, you know, so much rich experiences if we're present in each moment. Yeah. And the new experiences will breed new curiosities that you need to go satiate by experimenting against them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's okay to, you know, if you if if your life involves living on one path and one type of experiences, like let's say you want to stay in design or or a science path your whole career, and that gives you joy and that feeds your curiosities, then that's great for you. Mm-hmm. If it's something else where you want to do something for a while, and then perhaps maybe you want to round out your skills by trying something different from that, but it, it all sort of can accumulate and connect into a bigger story if you allow it to. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it's okay to, you know, reach the end of our journey with a myriad of different experiences too. And I, I think that creates a special resiliency and flexibility to understand how to attack problems in a very, you know, unique and holistic way. Yeah, that's... Great advice. And if people want to, so I know there might be some people that want to connect with the specific work or the business that you have or just the great work you're, you're doing in the world. How do they do that? So I'm, I'm easy to find. I mean, I, I, I build my business around my, my person because I, I, I really believe now in my career that I really want to bring my whole being into the work. So um, if, if you just type in, in your mobile phone at Kevin Bethune, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram oh, and nice there's music. all kinds of, uh, uh, breadcrumb trails over to my <laughs> business side. So I, I have similar handles for my business. So at dreams, design and life okay, on Instagram. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I like the breadcrumbs then... trails. <laughs> that's kind of social media described in two words. <laughs> Indeed. It's a new world. I, you know, it's you got to feed them. You got to feed all the platforms. And, I know. But my central website is uh, anyone can go to it. It's just www.dreamsdesignandlife.com. Wonderful. And 
So thank you for that. And this is one of my favourite questions, as you probably know, but music's a huge part of my life. And I think most people's lives, whatever, you know, culture they're brought up in, but in Scotland in particular, I would love to know what your favourite song is and why. And it can be about like your life journey that kind of represents what who you are today, or it can just be a favourite song. It's a great question. I, I think for me, it would have to be my favorite uh, jazz performer, which is uh, the late uh, the late John Coltrane. Oh, wow. And my favorite song from him is uh, I Love Supreme. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's a great <laughs> in choice. My, in my opinion, he that was his his opus masterpiece. Um, you know, he very much if you if you read his work or, or uh, watch the, the documentary that just was released on Netflix, I think last year called Chasing Train. Uh, but, but, but I Love Supreme is sort of a, a very much a spiritual statement in that he believed in a higher power and he was committed to that higher power and, and, and really viewing himself as a vessel to channel um, you know, the divine sort of genius through his, through his craft, through his work. And so he was just a very dedicated uh, soul to, that just wanted to put good into the world and he believed that good beget good and that's what I sort of aspire to do each and every day with my faculties as well. Oh I just love that so John, John, uh, John Coltrane John Coltrane it is yeah yeah John Coltrane I love Supreme I love Supreme I think I've I need to go and listen to that straight away. That's one of my favourite things to do after the podcast is just kind of tune into the the guest's favourite songs. It tells a lot, I think, the music that we pick. And uh, yeah. So I would love to say a huge thank you, Kevin. That has been a real, I know it was kind of short and I'd love to have you on at a, a later stage because one of the things I really want to do with guests is kind of help people get to know who you are in a bit more depth and we can't really do that quickly in one podcast but I would love to have you back at a later date whenever that suits you and I just want to say a huge thank you for sharing a bit about your story on Chill with Chemmings. No, no, um, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honour and I, I, I definitely uh, love the, the spirit of your platform and happy to come back anytime. Well, much appreciate it and thank you so much and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Okay, thanks, Colette. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.